listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are continuing our conversations in the Set Apart to Serve series today. How is a church organist formed? What does that formation look like? And what's the need for church musicians today? Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Today, we head to Concordia University, Nebraska. Our guest is Dr. Jeffrey Blursch, professor of music at Concordia University, Nebraska. Dr. Blursch, thanks for being our guest on the Coffee Hour today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about your formation as a church musician. What did that look like? Who is key in your formation? And, and, and what did that look like growing as a church musician? Sure. I, I, well, I, I think I would start by saying that I came to be a church musician the way a lot of people did, and that is by accident. My dad was a, an, an accountant by trade, but also quite an accomplished amateur musician who played a number of instruments and sang a lot. And when I was young, he wanted to learn to play the organ. And this was the late 60s, so the thing that you did, of course, was you got a Hammond organ for your house. And my mom told me that that as soon as I was old enough to sit up, I would, she would sit me on this bench and I would just spend hours working my way up and down the keyboard. And I have several pictures of that. Now, my mom was prone to exaggeration, of course, but nonetheless, by the time I got to be about age six, they found a gentleman at our local Lowry organ store to give me some lessons. And I started started learning to read treble clef and learning lead sheet. He quickly referred me to a, a different teacher who taught me to read bass clef and started to teach me to read out of the hymnal, as did our church organist, Marie Schaefer. Marie, if you're listening, thank you so much. And Marie asked me to start playing some hymns for her while she went to communion. And eventually that led into subbing for her on occasion. And then being a maternity leave replacement for her. And eventually I was the church's full-time organist by the time I was, by the time I was eight and I've been at it ever since. Did you say, did you say eight that you eight. were able That's That correct. is impressive. The, the, the good folks at Peace Lutheran in Cincinnati were so encouraging to me. And so anybody from Peace, thank you too. They, they are people that supported me all along. And my, my dad is still a member at Peace and just, just wonderful folks there. That is really amazing. I And I've, I've known you for a long time because of your time at Concordia Ann Arbor in Michigan. We were there at the, in Michigan at the same time, but I did not realize yeah. you had been a church organist for so long. That is really cool to know that fact about you right now. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a good journey. Kidding. That is, that is amazing. And now your time at Concordia, Nebraska for, for quite some time, and we're going to get into a little bit more of that as, as we go along today. But what what is the need for church organists today? Both just the practical need of, of the, the just the need for church organists to be, you know, manning those organs every Sunday. But also, why is organ important for our worship today? Sure, we hear from our placement director here on campus every year that there are so many more requests for musicians from members of synod than any of the Concordias can possibly fill with the number of our graduates. So we are looking to to help build the singing church. And that's one of the things that the organ can do very, very well. There are, of course, other ways of doing it too. But the organ has a unique ability, because it is a wind instrument, to encourage the singing of the human voice, which is also a wind instrument. And the organ also has the unique ability to 
do just about anything you want it to do. It's limited only by the organist's own imagination. Anything from the, the quietest whisper to the most thundering fortissimo that you can imagine can be, can be done on the organ. So, so we, are, we at Concordia, Nebraska, are trying to help supply for our churches, just as we are trying to supply other church workers through our pre-seminary program, DCE program, and Lutheran teacher programs. So what does that formation of church organists look like at Concordia, Nebraska? How do you go about equipping young people who might not have started on organ at age eight? Most of them have not, although I, I do have some students that have started at quite an early age. And that's, that's always kind of neat to see because I can relate to them. Some of our students are, are music majors and more specifically church music majors, but some of our organ students are also majoring in something besides music as well. And so their, their formation tracks look a little bit different from each other. Any student at Concordia can register for organ lessons just as you would register for any class. And so we have some students who maybe are majoring in physics, but have a love for the organ and for leading the church's song and want to be able to serve their congregation someday in that capacity. And so they, they take lessons with one of our teachers during their time. Students that, that actually major in church music have, have a variety of, of, of coursework that they, that they study. You'll, of course, have a grounding in the language of music with music theory and ear training and music history. But there are also a number of church music specific classes uh, that they take, including Joe Hurl's liturgy class and hymnody class. There are a number of practicum hours that they complete working in churches and observing before they graduate. There are, of course, private lessons on their principal instrument and on organ. There are courses in arranging and composition to help them develop their creative side of their musicianship. And we're actually starting something a little bit kind of, kind of nifty that our marketing department is working on and that our, our church music students who write arrangements on hymn tunes are going to be able to make them available for free download on our website. And that should be coming up shortly. That's really cool. A, a great opportunity for young musicians. What does that look like a student comes in as a freshman if they're interested in music? What does that formation look like then over their four-ish year at Concordia, Nebraska? It varies a little bit just depending on the background and the and the um, the experience level of the student. So the very first thing that I will do with a student is try to ex- assess where they are, what are their current strengths, what are their current weaknesses, and we'll come up with, a, for lack of a better term, an individualized growth plan of where their lessons will take them over the four years. We, of course, study literature on the organ, but we also study hymn playing, of course, and a personal passion of mine is hymn improvisation, and so I always work with my students on developing that creative side of their musicianship, too. You mentioned earlier the organ being a wind instrument, as is the the human voice, so the organ leading the the singing of the congregation. Can you unpack that a little bit more, how the organ and the organist help lead the congregation in song and why this formation is so valuable? Sure. The, the one thing that I notice about our, our students in their hymn playing development right away is that as soon as they take their very first course in conducting, they become better hymn players 
because they're thinking like a singer. And playing a hymn at the organ is, is much different than playing any other piece of music at the organ because you can't approach it so much like an organist. You have to approach it like a singer or like the conductor of a choir. And so you have to be in charge of setting the tempo, you set the aesthetic, you dictate the phrases, you give them cues of when to come in. And these are all things that organists, as we hide behind our little boxes in the balcony, <laughs> sometimes don't think of, but we have to learn how to play nice with others, basically, and, and how, to, how to lead them that way. And, and the organ just has a unique way of being able to do that because it matches and blends with the human voice so well. Mm -hmm. You know, I was going to ask you what the difference is between playing a hymn and playing any other piece of music. And I think for a lot of us in the pews, we may not know why it's different, but I think a lot of us might recognize that difference as we're as we might experience a different organists in, in different churches, that that leading of the song, the uh, allowing the breaths in between stanzas or, or you know, just understanding the, the hymn singing as a singer, as opposed to a straight instrumentalist. It's, those are very interesting distinctions to think about as we're sitting in a church pew and, and singing songs. How, how do you go about teaching those skills to students when, when they're learning how to do these playing hymns? Well, there, there is, of course, the coordination aspect of just figuring out how to deal with the voice leading and playing correct pitches and so forth. But beyond that, we sing. It's mm helpful to sing the hymn. You, you have to be able to sing it. If you're having trouble with the tenor part, for example, and playing it, you need to be able to sing that tenor part. If you're having trouble with, with remembering where to put the breaths and allowing the organ to breathe, because the organ doesn't breathe on its own, you have to make it breathe, then it's important to sing and you'll understand where those breaths occur. That's one of the most valuable aspects, or one of the most valuable tools, I think, that we have at our disposal for teaching hymn playing is let people sing. And then if they can mimic that singing when they're play when they are playing, they will be really successful. I, I think you've already alluded to this or answered this in, in many ways, but how is studying the organ unlike studying any other musical instrument? I kind of chuckle at that question just a little <laughs> bit. It's, well, we're one of the things here on our campus, we're in the middle of a, of a building project. We've been blessed to be able to, to, to completely renovate and add on to our music building. But the result of that is that we've been without a music building, excuse me, for about a year and a half now. And the very first thing that we realized, and we knew this all along, of course, but once we moved out of our building, we quickly realized that our instrument is not portable. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have certain challenges about practicing and where to practice that, that make it really, really different. Um, that kind of goes without saying, but that's kind of our standing joke here on campus. Pe people usually think that one of the most difficult things about playing the organ is playing with your feet and trying to coordinate your fingers and your feet together. But I don't think that that's really true at all. I am one of the the least coordinated people on my feet that you can imagine. But if I can do it, I think anybody can. Actually, the most difficult thing about the organ for someone who is starting organ after having played piano is that the keyboard technique, which we assume is going to be the same, is actually much, much different because the piano is a more percussive instrument and the organ is a wind instrument and the organ will continue to play a note all day 
until the power goes out unless you let that key up at a specific time. So adapting your your keyboard technique is really, really different from, from the piano and something that catches beginning students by surprise, I think. Hmm. It seems very Lutheran that it would keep going all day until you let it go. That seems like very Lutheran. We are learning about the formation of church musicians, particularly organists at Concordia University, Nebraska, today with Dr. Jeffrey Blurge. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Our guest today, Dr. Jeffrey Blursch, professor of music at Concordia University, Nebraska, sharing with us about the formation of church organists today. Great insights on what that that formation looks like, what your story was like, and how the organ is, playing the organ is, is unique compared to other musicians or other instruments, I should say. How is, what's your role in the, the formation of organists at Concordia University, Nebraska? You mentioned teaching lessons. Tell us more about your role. Sure. I, I wear a few different hats like most of us do inside of our, our music department. So I teach the music theory courses. I conduct most, which is our auditioned women's choir. Uh, and teach some arranging and composition, but I also am the primary organ teacher. I teach organ lessons to, oh, probably two, two-thirds of our students, I guess, approximately. Paul Solek from St. John Lutheran Church across the street uh, also helps out teaching some organ students, as does Dr. Carol McDaniel, who has recently moved to, to Seward. So the three of us combined make up our, our organ team. So we have lessons with our students once once per week, and we also teach them service playing classes where we are intentional about working through the different liturgical settings and the issues that can come up with them while playing. How does your experience over the years, your own formation as a church organist and all of the the teaching and service playing that you've done, how does that help you teach these new students all of the intricacies of being a church organist? Oh, it's invaluable. It's, it's necessary. The more I play, the, the better teacher I am, just because you learn from your own experiences. And you know, my, my background in improvisation, for example, was, was zero. I was a very, very much a play it by the page uh, kind of musician when I was growing up, because that's how I was taught. And I, and in some ways I still am that way, but around Oh, around age 25, when I was in Ann Arbor, I discovered a, a real love for improvisation and studying that on my own allowed me to figure out how to best teach it to my students. So that, that idea of, of doing what you teach is, is really, really important. I think we should unpack that a little more as you were talking about improvisation, because I'm sure for some that, that as you said, that wasn't, that wasn't something you were really comfortable with. That wasn't how you were originally trained. What does 
what role does improvisation play in leading the congregation in song or church music in general? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not something that I really was terribly comfortable with. It, it actually just scared me to death until I really started practicing a little bit. A little bit. What I found with myself and what I found with my students, though, is that studying improvisation is a way of unleashing your own musical personality. You find things that you are naturally drawn towards by experimenting with different sonorities and timbres. And as far as leading the church's song goes, it has some wonderful practical applications. The most obvious is let's take let's let's take a service that you're playing and the communion hymns are done, but the congregation is not yet done communing. What do you do? And if you can improvise, of course, you can keep improvising on the hymn that was just sung. Or you're playing for a wedding and the bridal party is not yet ready. What do you do? <laughs> So there, there, there are those very practical applications to improvisation, but there's also an application that, that is a, a little bit more philosophical perhaps, but that the organist has the opportunity through improvisation and some, some creativity to really draw attention to the text that is being sung, whether that be by changing registrations on the organ and changing your, your timbral concept of the hymn, or whether that be by adding adding some different musical devices to really draw the congregation's attention to, to the words. And by doing so, you help, you help them, I think, remember and, and pay attention a little bit more to what it is that they are singing, which, of course, is why we sing in the first place. I think it's so, it's just really amazing for these students to be able to learn that while they're in school. We just had a current student from Nebraska playing organ just a couple of weeks ago at my church. And he, in fact, was not using written music for a lot of what he was playing. So much of it was improvisation. So he's he's already implementing these things that you're teaching. And I think it's really, it's really wonderful for students to have those skills to be able to to do those things and, and just even for those practical purposes of, of just being able to continue to play during a service when otherwise somebody may have a moment of panic and not know what to do. These skills are just wonderful. How are students able to use these skills that, that they're learning while they're still students at the university? Well, that's a good question. All of our all of our organ students, as soon as they develop proficiency in in service playing, are on our regular student chapel organist list, chapel student organist list. I said that backwards. So they, they play regularly for our daily chapel services. They play on campus for evening prayer services. And many of them play in local congregations here in Seward County and in, in surrounding counties too. So they, they have lots of opportunity for, for playing and, and practicing and developing those skills while they're still here. What is important to you for students to have when they complete a program at Concordia, Nebraska as a, as a student organist? I would like the students primarily to have an understanding of and an appreciation of the singing church and what it means to proclaim the word in song and then how to best facilitate that and help their congregations become a singing congregation and help them proclaim that word. 
in your years since you started at eight years old. You've had a little time to to serve congregations and now students as well. What is for you as a church musician? What's what do you find most enjoyable about being a church organist? I love sitting on the bench and and leading a hymn. There is, there is nothing more enjoyable to me in my profession than doing that. And hearing the congregation sing while I'm playing is just such a tremendous, a tremendous joy. Now, you mentioned that, that there is a, a need for church organists, for young people to, to be formed into these church musicians. What is... What are, what are some, some skills or talents or, or things that we can encourage young people to be doing in order to c- consider this field of church work, this vocation of, of being a church organist, a church musician? That's a really great question. I, in, in my own experience, just thinking back to my background, it was the people in my congregation that really encouraged me. Like I said, I kind of fell into it by accident. But, but Peace Lutheran was a congregation that was willing to accept the results of an eight-year-old being their church organist. And I, I really don't have any recordings from back then, and I'm probably thankful that I don't. But you know, it, it could not have been terribly classic or anything like that. I, I'm assuming that I, I, I led the congregation reasonably well. But there had to have been some, some serious mistakes just because I was so young. But, but yet they were so encouraging always. So that, that's one thing that I think our congregations can do is we can find ways of incorporating any musician, no matter what their level, into our, our, our worship services, whether it be playing piano, whether it be playing organ, whether it be playing a wind instrument. Yeah, you name it. The more we can encourage musicians, the better off we will be. There are, of course, other programs that are being offered by professional organizations like the American Guild of Organists who run pipe organ encounters to help facilitate growth in, in young musicians. But but one of the one of the best things we can do is just personal encouragement, I believe. You mentioned earlier that the music program is experiencing some <laughs> some growth and in terms of a new building project. Tell us a little bit more about what's happening at Concordia University, Nebraska, particularly for music students. Gladly. We are very excited to be reaching the end of our construction progress. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and we mm-hmm. expect to be able to move into our new facility in the next few months. And this is well, it's just terribly exciting. I'll say that. Yeah. Our, our new building is specifically designed to be a music teaching building. So acoustics and sound isolation were a big part of the design process of this building. And when we, when we took a tour of other buildings that our architects had designed for, for music, we were just floored at what could be done to help the teaching of music through through acoustics and sound isolation. So this new building will have 10 organ practice rooms, all pipe organ, plus our recital hall organ. We will we will have 23 non-organ practice rooms. We are on our way to becoming an all Steinway school. We are we have a few pianos yet to secure donations for to allow us to be an all Steinway school because we want our students to have the best instruments. To, to practice on and to learn to be artists on. The building will have state-of-the-art choral rehearsal studios and instrumental rehearsal studios, a, a recording studio, as well as classrooms and offices. It'll be a tremendous facility, and we are just so blessed to, to have that building at our disposal. 
what does this mean for for the formation of church musicians and and other students who are interested in music at Concordia University of Nebraska having this facility? What does that mean for for those students? I think it's a tremendous tool. We we have a we have a great team of teachers here with experience and passion and love for what we do. But the building gives us one more resource to help students. It's a place where they can go and learn and develop and explore and learn to be effective leaders. Our guest today, Dr. Jeffrey Blursch, professor of music at Concordia University, Nebraska. Dr. Blursch, thanks so much for sharing with us about this great news for church musicians and students at Concordia University, Nebraska. Thanks for being our guest today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.